All right, you primitive screwheads, listen up. What an excellent day for an There is no shortage of monsters to haunt our dreams. You go right on your back having to get you, Barbara. the horror i'm your host rob holmes and today we are doing a double feature of aquatic horror we are talking about 2019's sea fever and the beach house these movies are are very creepy they're simple right so it's very simple plot lines you're pretty much staying in one location the entire time and they're very 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 simple stories but extremely disturbing uh, and it both of these are very much cosmic horror films to me. They have that feeling of cosmic horror, even though it is, it's like aquatic cosmic horror, which I guess a lot of cosmic horror would be because you're dealing with like Cthulhu and Dagon and all this other stuff. So yeah, it involves the water a good amount of the time. So this one, it came out just a couple of months ago, the first one, Sea Fever, even though it was done in 2019, on Hulu. And I, I checked it out just because, you know, they're like, oh, yeah, it's an Irish uh, Irish horror film that's dealing with the idea of sea fever where people who have been out on the water too long go crazy and it can just, it, it's a real thing that can happen. So a lot of what's going to happen in this film, they will attribute to sea fever, which I guess could could kind of no it doesn't because there's a thing that is coming after them the entire time uh which the premise behind this film is there's this scientist a scientist named siobhan and she ends up being able to travel on this fishing trawler that has it's manned by a crew of six uh we have D- uh, doug ray scott is in this film as the as like the skipper his wife is freya which is connie nielsen which is awesome uh let's see and then they have four other people on the boat with them (laughs) so they get told um i guess where they're heading to which has a ton of fish it's an exclusion zone but it doesn't you know doug ray scott's character is like look man we need to get fish we haven't we haven't had a good haul in a long time like i can't pay my guys i'm going to this exclusion zone coast guard's not going to know where they are right so they're in this area that they shouldn't be in, number one. So they're they're doing stuff. Mm. So at a certain point, because of this, they run into this, I guess, shoal-like object, and it stops the boat. So they're like, oh, shit. What are we going to do? Um, they end up going down into the hall, and one of these guys, Omid, finds this blue-green slime that through a bunch of these small breaches. It's like... The hull itself, if you were to touch it, felt soft. I mean, I don't know that, but to them, it felt soft. Uh, and they were able to, like, pry this away and find these, like, they think it's barnacles. Because you can see these little pincher mouths and stuff come out of this this barnacle, which a living barnacle does stuff like that. Like, I... I've seen the ones that are dried up on boats that are, like, dead, and I don't even know if they're fully dead. Like, if you rehydrate them, if they would come back. I'm not an expert in marine biology. I'm not a big fan of the water, mainly due to movies like this and the fact that being in open water 
is that's like one of my fears. Like if so, I've talked about Prince of Darkness before on here, uh, and if you if you know the scene that I'm talking about towards the end in that water type prison area thing, no, that's a big old no for me. I that would freak me the hell out. It's like you're in a place where you can look around. And if it's super pitch black in there, you know, deep, deep water, you can't see what's coming at you until the last second. Even in blue water, a lot of the times, it's like you you still can't see because it's opaque, right? So you can't fully see everything that's down there. Mm-mm, mm-mm. That's where stuff comes out of nowhere and gets you. And where are you going to go? What are you going to do? Just, oh, I'm going to swim up. I'm going to swim over here. Right. That thing's probably faster than you. Uh, good luck. All right. That's my little... Mm, yeah, it, but that stuff bothers me. <laughs> anyway... So they think they're caught by barnacles on this boat, and they want to kind of get this stuff off of them because this blue-green slime, this like kind of glowing slime, is is pouring through, and they they want to make sure that you know they can just get the hell out of there without without sinking. So Siobhan gets in their only diving suit, by the way, and goes to cut the barnacles off of there. They're not really barnacles. So she figures out that they are tentacles to this giant bioluminescent creature that has clung itself onto the boat. Uh, They think, when she comes back up and tells them, oh, we've come across some giant squid. This will make us so much money. Let's haul it in. No, don't do that. That is a bad idea. And it proves to be too heavy. So they end up, now kind of hooked onto this thing and they can't get any of it up. And then Johnny, who is the guy who actually introduced, who brought Siobhan onto the boat to begin with, he ends up getting his hand caught in the rope as it starts slicing. Now, I thought it was going to go much worse than this because when they're like, stop the thing, stop the... You always imagine someone's hand like ripped in half or like an arm cut off or something like that. In this case, he had, you know, a huge gash kind of just just through the hand. But he gets a bunch of that blue-green slime on it. Yikes. Because we don't know what this... Obviously, this stuff has been pushed through a boat haul, and he gets this on himself, but no one's thinking that maybe this is bad. Because, you know, I guess when you're, when you're pulling stuff all the time, you get mud and all sorts of junk on your hands from being in the water, so you're not really thinking about... Oh, I don't know, possible parasitic infestation. At this time, you know, they're stuck, right? But they see another boat, and they're like, oh, shit, there's a, there's a freighter over there. Let's take this, our little, like, small rowboat, and we'll head over and see, you know, if we can get some help. Well, when they get there, they find out that every single person on that boat is dead, and one of the guys there, his eyes are scooped out. So that's, that's great. And he... <laughs> Uh, Gerard, which is uh, Doug Ray Scott's character, is just like, we're not telling anyone, we're not telling the rest, we're not going to have anyone panic. It's sea fever, this type of stuff happens. Um, People go mad, and they might, you know, he probably either killed themselves, or one killed everybody, and then, you know, scooped his eyes out, whatever. And they're like, all right, uh, we're just going to, we're just going to go, we're just going to go back to the boat, and everything's going to be okay. And I think he said, like, they had their own stuff going on when he got back to uh, to his wife and everybody else. But by this point, this thing's let the boat go. Interesting, right? Magically, it's just like, all right, 
I'm done doing whatever it is I need to do, which to me seems like, oh, I've pumped this full of this goo. I'm just going to sit back and watch the fireworks go down, which is essentially what happens for the rest of this film. So Johnny, who hates the water, and he talks about a lot of these guys who are fishermen never learn to swim because if you were to ever go over, you want to drown right away. You don't want to sit there being able to swim, treading water, having a slow death, eventually maybe getting eaten by sharks. So the idea for for sailors is just kind of like, or at least for them, super old school. They're like, fuck it. Also, I should mention, there's this huge thing. Uh, no one realizes Shivana has red hair. And when they realize that she has red hair, once, they've are, once they're already on the boat, Everyone is freaking the hell out because apparently that's a curse. That's like a big old no-no when you're on like a fishing boat or sailing in general. No, no redheads. Um, I mean, they're they're not really happy about that at all because they think it's like it's this old wives' tale curse or something or wives' tale thing. But I don't know. Maybe that played out to be very real in this situation. So Johnny that night is starting to act kind of weird. Johnny and Siobhan kind of have this moment where you're like, oh, they could, they might hook up. And they don't. And they end up going in and eating dinner. Uh, everyone's hanging out. And we almost have that alien moment. The exact same, like, it's almost like the chestburster scene, except it doesn't come from the chest. Johnny all of a sudden wants to go for a swim, actually, before that main moment, right? He's like, I'm going to go swimming. Let's go swimming. It's going to be great. And they're like, you're, okay, something's wrong. He has, you know... They think he might have a fever, so she's like, we're going to check you and make sure that you're okay. So she puts a light up to his eye, and she sees something moving in his eye, which by itself, that's creepy enough, man. If I'm looking into someone's eye and I see something swimming around there like it's a fishbowl, like my eye is a fishbowl, no, no, no. And she's, I mean, she kind of is, she thinks she's seeing something. She doesn't really, I guess she doesn't want to cause panic. And maybe in her mind, yeah, maybe she is seeing something. Anyway, he goes to wash his face. Then he goes blind and his eyes burst. They just pop. And these little tiny tadpole-like creatures slither away. And now they're in the ship's water system. And she realizes this and they're like, shit, we got to shut the water off. Shut the water off. And Sudi is in the shower, right? So they're like, Sudi, like, get out of the shower. Get out of the shower. And he's like, whatever, man. I'm... Uh, you know, I'll be out of here in a few minutes. Well, these things pop out at him, and they start to, like, bite him. And they kind of, like, slice into him as each drop of water is coming out, which is very creepy because now you're like, ooh, these, these are serious things. This is not – I mean, obviously, it's a serious thing, but when each one of these, if they hit you, is able to just slice into your flesh that easily, it's like little mini piranhas. You know, it's like someone said, hey, we can create tadpole piranhas. You cool with that? Yeah, I'm totally cool with that. So now, you know, Sudi has gotten a bunch of injuries, but he seems like he's all right. Johnny has died from his, his eyeballs bursting, and those things probably just ate into his brain. I mean, if they can slice through your flesh that easily as they're growing, because that's what it seems like. They start off as these tiny larva and then they are growing at this very rapid rate <clears throat> so it was about the time that a chest burster you know would go from that incubation period to popping out 
This is that same type of situation. Now at this point, she has checked the water filtration system. All of the filters in the water system, there are these steel filters, these creatures have eaten through them. Makes sense, right? Because if they were able to eat through the boat's hull so easily, they should totally be able to eat through these little thin metal filters. They're meant to be strong, right? To block normal things. Not things with teeth that can eat steel and are very small. Huh. That, that's... Mm. She thinks that everybody could be infected, right? Um, now, Gerard is like, we're, we're going to go home. We're getting the hell out of here. Like, we're gone. Uh, so they're like, we got to figure out a way to kill this stuff because we, we have to get it out of the ship's water. So they try disinfectant and they try UV light to kill the actual larva. It's not working. So Siobhan and Omid basically use the arc welder to electrocute the entire trawler and it sterilizes everything. So that actually, it's the idea is, because when they try and open the water filtration system, this shit is glowing and trying to come out and get them. It has grown. It has gotten larger in a very short amount of time. So for them, you know, she's like, all right, we've, we've electrocuted this stuff. It has sterilized the entire ship and the water supply of this parasitic creature. But she wants to quarantine. So, you know, she insists that when they get to port... They have to quarantine for like 36 hours, you know, because if they're infected, they could get the public and everyone could die. And then Sudi ends up dying from the infection and the crew refuses to quarantine. Uh, she She's just like, she disables the, the trawler by basically taking a propeller. I'm sorry. She disables the trawler by taking the anchor and throwing it overboard so it gets caught in the propeller and it basically just destroys the entire engine. So now the crew is checking their eyes for these parasites. Everyone is Siobhan, Omid, Freya, uh, Ciara. They have no signs of infection, but Gerard, he's been showing signs of infection this whole time. So they have this moment with each other, Freya and Gerard, and Freya Mercy kills him by cutting his own throat, or like cutting his throat. And it's a very like, oh fuck moment, <clears throat> because you're you're thinking this husband and wife, there's no way. No, she she fucking kills him because he knows that, you know, he's he's infected. And I mean it's it's a big deal. They've seen what this thing does. Uh and then Ciara goes crazy and tries to attack Siobhan. She falls to her death, but you see the parasite come out of her eye showing that she has been infected. Yeah. So at this point, it's Freya, Siobhan, and Omid left. Um, Freya's like, fuck this, I'm taking the rowboat. I'm getting out of here. So at this point, Siobhan and Omid have realized that the larva in the water tank didn't, didn't die. It actually, it actually got bigger and became a much larger creature. It has now gone through the hull and returned back out into the water. So this thing replicates very quickly and can turn into a giant version of itself in a very short amount of time, which is, that's horrifying. So this thing still exists in the ocean and there's now more than one of them. So they're like, 
all right, well, the trawler's sinking. What the fuck are we going to do? They basically torched the whole thing, and then they get onto an inflatable boat. Well, it, it, Siobhan gets onto the inflatable boat. Omid, you know, being the sailor and that whole thing of we don't swim, falls overboard, and he gets caught by the adult creature thing. Its tentacles wrapped around him, and it's pulling him down. Siobhan is safe. She could leave, but no. Siobhan's going to save him. Siobhan jumps into the water. She gets him, but her hand gets cut on the one of the tentacles. So she is now she's now infected. That's it. Like there's now a rescue helicopter coming that could save her and Omid, but she realizes like this thing's in me. I can't take it back. She's the one who's so insistent about like if we die we die, but we cannot risk infecting the entire population. And in one, this is where, this is the moment where I'm like, oh, fuck. Because it's it's unsettling as hell. I mean, it's it's a cool-looking moment. But, ah. So, so Omid has been, I guess the helicopter is going to rescue him. Great. At least somebody makes it out of here. And I think he talks about his, like, his family, and I think he's got kids and stuff. So he gets to go home to his wife and kids. Great. Siobhan has now, is, you know, she's dived into the water. And she's a scientist, so she's super curious. And she knows she's going to die anyway. So she wants to see this creature up close. So she swims to it. And you see that it is, it is something very, very large. And she just kind of swims into it, I guess. And that's it. That's, that's where we leave the film. It's a, I mean, it's a very, at least somebody survives in this one, but oh man, that final moment of just like realizing, sacrificing yourself and then sacrificing yourself for the greater good and also sacrificing yourself like in the name of science, I guess. I, this movie creeped the hell out of me just, I know some people have said, oh, this is boring and it's so slow paced, but you got to start realizing like. Yeah, they made some dumb mistakes, but there's desperation in their dumb mistakes. Like, there was a reason on why they were going to stay longer instead of leaving right away. If they had had good hauls, they wouldn't have had to go to the exclusion zone to begin with. It never would have had to happen. There's a reason that there was an exclusion zone, which kind of makes me wonder how much more is there to this? How much do people know about this? Do other scientists and researchers and government organizations know that there's something in this exclusion zone? I want to know more, and this film gave me just enough that it could be something of a larger universe, which, in a way, you could almost relate it to the beach house, because we're not, we know that there are now these very, very easily multiply, you know, creatures that can multiply very easily that are anomalies that we've never seen before, and this is in Ireland, so now we're talking about going to... I think probably the coast of like Carolina or something with the beach house. And maybe it is, maybe it's not. With the beach house, it's also dealing with creatures and it's also dealing with something that can grow very quickly. And it's also dealing with somebody who has a very scientific mind. In this one, it deals with uh, the beach house, came out on Shutter 
in 2020, kind of in the same way that Sea Fever came out in 2020 on Hulu. It is also a 2019 film. So The Beach House is kind of like a smaller version of Sea Fever, which in itself, Sea Fever is a very isolated film. This is even, you know, even though it's on land, it almost feels like it is more isolated than even Sea Fever. In this one, it's about a, a teenage couple. It is Emily and Randall. And they have come out to Randall's parents' beach house. And it's this in this uh, kind of remote vacation town. I don't know if we ever get to the state that it is in. I'm thinking either the Carolinas or maybe like Maryland or Delaware. It, it seems very East Coast, right? Emily's like, wow, this town seems deserted. There, there doesn't seem to be many people here. They, they get to the house uh, immediately, as teenage couples do. They go upstairs and they have sex. Afterwards, you know, they're, they're going through and having like the basic conversations of, hey, why, why are you going to school? We could just stay here forever. Uh, we could just hang out and live on the beach. And Emily's like, I would rather, you know, go to school and do things. <laughs> so she goes in the bathroom, washes up, and right away she notices that there's something weird with this water. It feels very strange um, kind of on her hands. And then she notices a couple of other things. She notices that there's a bunch of pill bottles out, and she opens up the medicine cabinet, and it's like it's filled with meds. And there's other stuff that seems like there have been people in this house. There's unwashed dishes. She then is moving through the house, and then a woman enters. So she has to kind of hide and and not be seen by this person. So she goes up, tells Randall, and is like, we have to go they are confronted by this woman because she was hiding because uh, he's going downstairs to kind of see and she's like hiding behind the wall I guess scared not sure if it's like an intruder right she doesn't know so she sees Randall and recognizes him from when he was a kid uh, and then explains like oh you know we know your father uh, we you know we uh, her husband Mitch too so her name is Jane and she and her husband, Mitch, had been given permission to stay at the beach house. So Mitch returns pretty much. He had been out shopping for groceries. So he, is, he appears right at that moment and is introduced to Emily and Randall. And Emily is like, you know, Randall and I can, we don't want to interfere. We didn't know that, that you guys had the house. So we're going to go stay at a hotel. Like, it's totally fine. Mitch is, says, no, 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 no. There's so much room in this place. Why don't you stay? It would be nice to have someone to kind of talk to, and we can have dinner, and everything will be great. They end up having dinner, and during this dinner, everyone is eating these oysters, right? And there's a story that Randall tells about how I think he ate so many that he got sick or something like that, and now he he has one, and, and you know, they make some joke about it, but you see something kind of bubbling on this oyster. And in the beginning of the film, you see something happening underwater with this bubbling type event. This is now almost like that same thing happening with an oyster. It's almost like there's something moving around inside of it. But he, uh, Randall doesn't see it. Randall eats it. Everyone else is eating it, except for Emily. Emily is not. Um, and they ask Emily, hey, what are you, what are you studying? You know, because she talks about school and she is studying organic chemistry because she wants to be a scientist. This is very similar to what we deal with in Sea Fever, where our female protagonist is very scientific-minded. This is also where I go back to the Ellen Ripley thing, because 
in Alien, sure, we don't see, we never think of Ripley as the main character unless we've seen the entire film. We think of Tom Skerritt as the main character, and then they pull the rug out from under us uh, when we find out that it is it is Ripley all along who is this uh, now iconic lead. So I guess let's take the, we already know that she's the lead, but we're dealing with that alien-type situation. So they're having these conversations. Randall talks about how he wants, you know, he, he's not going to go to college. He's going to travel the world or whatever. He thinks that the system's broken. And then Jane, Jane starts crying and says he should be more thankful because not everyone has a choice. This is what I like about this film is there are, it's almost like they said to the actors, hey, I want you to write an entire backstory on yourself. We're never really going to talk about it in the film. Things might get touched on. But for someone like Jane, it seems like Jane had a life where either, you know, she wasn't able to go to school for one reason or she had kids or one thing or another happened. And the fact that this kid is saying how he wishes, you know, he can do whatever he wants to and, and, you know, he should be doing this and school doesn't seem necessary. And for her... It wasn't that it seems like there was much more of a struggle to it Uh, And they've been drinking a lot, too. So there's all this stuff coming up. It feels real. It feels organic It feels like these people exist in this world fully you're seeing arguments between people you're hearing this banter it It's very realistic Relationships same thing as I you know with sea fever. I can see how people might find this film boring it's a slow burn, but there's a reason for it, and I think it works really well as this is this isolated story of horror that happens in almost like a cosmic environment. I mean, we're dealing with something we don't know what the fuck it is, right? We don't know what it is in the same way in Sea Fever. We don't know what it is. We this one I think is way more we don't know what it is because there's there's a lot of stuff happening with this. We have the water that, that immediately is is feeling strange, and they come back to this a bunch of different times. So, they, they drank all the wine, and Jane has, you know, gotten upset about stuff, and Randall feels like shit because he's like, oh, I didn't want to I shouldn't have done this, you know, and they can't go out to get more booze because they're, they've all been drinking and the stores are probably closed. He has brought marijuana-infused chocolate with him, and he suggests it to Jane and Mitch and Emily's like, what the, What are you doing? And he's like, look, man, maybe they might be down for that. I mean, hey, it would help, you know? And when they're having this argument and you can see Jane and Mitch kind of just staring at the chocolate bar and having this conversation and Emily's like, he's going to tell you, you know, he's going to tell your parents, like, what the hell? Why did you do this? He's like, no, 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 it'll all be fine. It'll all be fine. And then Jane and Mitch just, or Mitch just looks up and goes, so, um... So do we just cut this in quarters? Like, yeah, they're totally going to take the chocolate. And they do. Mitch is, I guess, washing dishes, and he starts, he actually feels the same strange water texture. But to him, it's probably he's feeling like, oh, I'm just high. This is what it must be like to be high. And, you know, I mean, sure, maybe that would affect the way that the water texture is. But we've hinted on this already in the beginning of the film that there's something different with the water. And then while they're high, we start getting into the conversation of Emily talking to Jane about the existence of life on Earth in the ocean and wanting to go down in deep sea diving to explore and and get a better understanding of the world that we live in. Later on, uh, while they are, while they're high... So later on that night, they see all these glowing microbes, bioluminescence, basically, all over the beach and the surrounding area. Bioluminescence, 
also in sea fever. There's a similarity going on between that. And, but this time, you know, this stuff is, this stuff that's normally in the water, you know, this, this bioluminescence is usually just in the water, but Emily is a little confused because now it's on the beach and all the surrounding area. There's more to it. You know, we got this fog and stuff that starts rolling through as well, and it's kind of coating the area, and it's very, very thick. And then Jane sees this, and she's like, I want to see it up close. So she just kind of goes out there um, and moves through this fog, but starts like coughing and getting disoriented and stuff. You know, she's hacking and she's going through there. Emily ends up breathing in this fog too, gets disoriented, comes back in and passes out, right? She wakes up and she, you know, is going out into the hallway. I guess it's one or three in the morning or something. And she sees Jane throwing up and then you see... Um, Mitch just kind of like stare at the door for a second and slam the door. It was a very strange moment. It seemed like a very weird everyone got too high and tripped their balls off night. It's pretty much where where it kind of went with that. Uh, Randall was useless because he just got baked and didn't want to do a damn thing. When Emily wakes up the next morning, she finds Jane like catatonic in the kitchen and she looks like shit. She looks bad. They think they got her too baked because when Randall's coming downstairs, he sees Jane going upstairs, tries to say hi to her, and she's just like cowered over and is not doing well. So Randall and Emily go out, go out to the beach. They notice it's empty and they can't, they have not seen Mitch so far at all. So they're, they're out, they're laying in the sun. And then all of a sudden Randall, like his stomach starts bothering it makes that weird noise, and you're like, oh, that oyster's coming back to bite you. Things are going bad. So he has to rush into the house, into the bathroom. But he leaves his phone and his keys, I guess, in his shoes, right? So they're out at the beach. So at this point, you know they close up on the phone and the keys in the shoe. So you know that this is going to come to play at one point or another. So he goes into the bathroom, and he sees the the water from the sink. It's it's getting like when he's turning on. It's weird, very strange. So we cut back to the beach, and Emily's just chilling, and then Mitch just shows up, and Emily's like, "Hey, something about this feels off," and and mentions like kind of the fact that Jane is is not doing so well, and Mitch doesn't really. Mitch is like, hey, I'm going to go for a swim. It's okay. Mitch is acting very odd. Mitch just walks into the water, and he keeps going, and he keeps going, and he keeps going. And he disappears, never looking back, never faltering, never stopping. And Emily's yelling out to him, but he's not listening. And then we never see Mitch again. It's very messed up moment, man. Very like, what the hell is happening? Emily freaks out, runs up to the shore, and is screaming for him, but she steps on, like, I guess she steps on, like, a jellyfish or something that just wraps around her foot and stings her, uh, and then she, she falls down, is pulling this stuff off of her, uh, and she sees that the bottom of her foot is shredded. It is shredded open, and sees this worm going into her wound like crawling into the foot. So she freaks, she's freaking out. She's out at the beach in the middle of nowhere and she's got to get back to the house. 
So before we even go back to the house, we see that there are these strange pods, like carcasses slash pods all over the beach, littered all over the shoreline, which I think she should have noticed before she she stepped out further. But seeing someone kind of disappear into the water, maybe you're not going to notice that stuff on the side because you just watched someone kill themselves in a very horrifying way. She ends up basically going back into the house. She crawls into the house. It's a very graphic, grisly moment. She gets a pair of tongs uh, and a knife and then cuts into her foot a bit in order to get the worm thing, grabs those with the tongs and pulls this in such a disgust, because it takes a bit for her to get onto the thing. And you're watching a close-up of this digging into her foot but once she gets the worm and you're watching this thing pull out of her foot, it is, it's so gross, man. It just takes a very long time and you just keep watching as she's screaming, this thing's just pulling out. And it almost seems like it's, I mean, it has to, it seems like a worm or a parasite or something, or if it was part of the jellyfish, like what if, if it, if it just became something that separated and went into her, she's like, we got to get out of here. She's trying to leave. She wants to, you know, find Randall and I guess get out. Um, she stumbles upon Randall, who basically, like, falls out of the bathroom, and Jane, oh man, I guess she was in there because he was trying to help her, and she just comes out crawling, she has white eyes and this, like, fluid pouring out of her mouth. They, they try to, like, lock her inside, but she ends up, like, getting out and following him. It's, it's just very unsettling. Now you have this thing that's infected someone. We don't know what it is, but she's becoming something else and is now going after uh, this this couple. So they they can't find the keys. Randall's like, I don't have the keys. I don't know where they are. So they're like, we're, we're going to go to this other house. You know, there's nobody there. Randall at this point has gotten really sick. He He's not doing well. Emily runs off and sees this this or no they she they see this light and she thinks it's going to be help so they're gonna go get help and they find the radio she finds a radio and she's like I'm calling someone um, and they ask like have you been exposed and she, they're like if you have you know just stay away from the fog do not breathe in the fog it isn't fog they're like all right we got to get out of here so they, yeah they're still together so they break into a house. And they're looking for they're looking for any type of keys for anything because they never realize like hey the shoes are still down there that's never something that comes into play. Now the water is a totally different texture. Things have completely changed, and there's an emergency broadcast broadcast system alert uh, that there are microbes that were preserved under the rock under uh, underwater rock that were released by the earth heating up. And that that's what this stuff is, and it's some sort of infection. Uh, basically, we know that, that there's something going on. This is actually not like some event that no one believes in. This is a legit event that happened. There were microbes. They got out from, from underwater rock. It has somehow infected everything around the area. And that is this gas that is almost like changing everything around it. It's changing it to make it a new biome, a new atmosphere, a new world, essentially. Emily is like, all right, we should wait until morning. Let's stay in here. Let's just not go anywhere. Randall's like, Randall knows he's dying. Randall at this point knows that, that this thing is in him. It's not going to go well. Emily goes downstairs for a second to 
to find like something to get them out of there. Randall finally, the infection gets a hold of him. He pukes up this creature thing. His eyes go white, so we know he's pretty much done for. Uh, Emily has found um, oxygen tanks and is like, great, we can we can breathe safe air, and we you know we can get this stuff, so we're not gonna we'll be okay. But she doesn't know that he's pretty much done for. She sees a fully infected person. She has found a creature, or I guess an infected person that is feeding on another person. This is where I think it was almost like maybe what were in those pods outside. Like I almost feel like it was something that hatched out of that to become whatever it is now and feeds on the other people. Or maybe it's just, we don't really know. And that's the best part about this is that it's left up to the imagination, but we know that there's something that is changing people. Basically, now she finds keys. Well, she comes back up. She comes back up, realizes that Randall, because she's freaking out like, oh, fuck, I got to get out of here. She realizes that Randall is infected, and she just basically bashes his head in with an oxygen tank. I mean, she puts him out of his misery. This is where this is where the film, it's such a, it's such a rushed ending, right? It's a very quick, very fast-paced ending because we, we've just gone into full-blown cosmic horror insanity where people are now getting infected left and right. They're changing into these creatures. It's a bunch of body horror. So she's killed her boyfriend. She's bashed his head in. She has this oxygen tank. It seems like, all right, well, she hasn't, she hasn't done as much as everyone else as far as eating the stuff, so maybe she's not infected. She got this thing out of her foot. Maybe she's still okay. She crashes this truck that she's in. She gets the keys. She She's trying to escape. This fog, which isn't fog, is way too thick. And she has her tank, but, you know, this thing gets wedged. She can't get it out, so it's just her. No oxygen tank. And when she gets out of the, uh, the wreckage, she slips and falls. We go into this moment of strange visions and stuff. And then we see her the next day lying on her back talking to herself and her eyes are glazed over as she's gone blind like everyone else whose eyes gain or they get that white glaze and it's a really haunting moment because you can tell she's infected very very infected and she keeps telling herself don't be scared don't be scared don't be scared don't be scared and then a wave crashes over her and she just is gone when the wave moves away and it's it's a strange moment because you don't see her get pulled into the ocean. She just is gone when the wave comes back around. And you're wondering there's there's kind of I guess it's left up a little bit to what did this thing really do to her? Did she actually get pulled into the ocean or did she just cease to be or did it just kind of like become one? I like to think that there's more weirdness than just getting pulled into the ocean going on with it, especially when we're dealing with these strange pods that we never get into. We see those creatures that happen, but we don't know what else is going on with it. You know, is it mutating all the, all like the flora and fauna in the area, especially because now we have this bioluminescent shit that is where it shouldn't be. See, that's where this fog or this gas that has now been released into the atmosphere makes it feel like we have now changed this entire environment. It is now completely different, uh, and the people are changing as well. You know, it's it's very, it's almost like color out of space, right? It, no matter what, this event is changing everything near it. One way or another, it's going to alter it. 
In this case, it almost has a more realistic feel to it. I mean, very fast-paced on some of that stuff growing, but we don't know what this type of gas could do. Um, in this case, we find out what... I mean, we find out kind of what it does. We don't know exactly what's happening to these people. We know it's infecting them. It's driving them kind of crazy, uh, especially to have the one guy just walk into, into the ocean and just become one with it. I like this film, man. It, was a, it, it didn't have to explain everything. It was nice and creepy. This is why I want to do kind of a doubleheader on this, because there, there's not enough really... I mean, there is enough kind of to talk about to get into heavy description about both of these films. And you could go super, super deep into it, right? You could really you could really delve into a whole nother level of it. I, I'm basically going through plot points and the way that I kind of see these films. First off, they're both they're both independent films. I can tell that the Beach House's budget was probably significantly lower than Sea Fever, just due to the fact that, you know, you're filming out in the ocean and you're in Sea Fever, you're dealing with a lot of there's some underwater photography in that. You're dealing with the trawler. And you have a more high-profile cast in that with, with Connie Nielsen and Gerard Butler. Now, our, our most known actor in this would be Jake Weber, who played Mitch. Hopefully, everybody knows him from 2004's Dawn of the Dead, Zack Snyder film, which is surprisingly competent. Even though a lot of people talk shit about Snyder, I, I liked 2004's Dawn of the Dead. I think the color filter on it doesn't really hold up as much. It's very 2004. It's a good film, though, to, to go about the idea of, of the, the fast zombie approach. And it's it's a good reimagining, reimagining of Dawn of the Dead. Uh, but it was cool to see him in another one of these type of films. I, Jake Weber, I haven't really seen him in a lot lately. I know he's probably doing a bunch of stuff. But it was cool to see him in this one especially. Uh, he does come off really creepy towards uh, the towards Emily a couple of times. I think everyone's a little off in this film because you, you're starting to wonder really what the intentions are with everybody in it. His character does kind of have this kind of creepy vibe to him, but super nice guy at the same time. I think it's 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 an awkwardness to it. His wife, hers just it, it's very it's very complicated as well because you know that there's a lot of loss and a lot of regret going on with her. And you're dealing with two main characters as well who are almost like looking at the younger version of themselves and the older version of what they could turn into. So like Jane and Mitch are looking at what they were like when they were younger and Emily and Randall are kind of seeing what it's like in 20 years where they could be at potentially. Maybe I'm totally off base there, but since we're only dealing with a limited amount of characters and not much going on there, you know, as far as traditional plot line before we just get into the weird shit. That, that's what I think I, I like about this film is because it's not, it doesn't seem as generic to me. Conversation-wise, it doesn't seem as generic as it potentially could be. And while some of the conversation is your basic typical fodder, the way they go about it and the intentions behind it and the fact that it seems like these characters are real people makes it work. So overall, I would say this is definitely a double header to watch. You know, if you, I, I put this out there to watch it already. Hopefully you did. Otherwise, I've just told you both movies. And if that's your thing, cool. Then you don't have to watch it. I would say for some of the visual elements, it's totally worth it still. They are two films that are, are very similar yet very different at the same time. We're dealing with a parasite. We're dealing with something that is existing in nature or an anomaly in nature that is changing everything around it, you know, and then Sea Fever, we have the exclusion zone 
And in this one, it almost seems like the whole area is an exclusion zone in, in, in the beach house because we even have a guy who's dressed up in hazmat stuff at, at one point. So you know that people know that something's going on with this. I guess it was basically trying to evacuate people, but maybe they didn't get to everyone in time, or it's this crazy anomaly thing. Overall, though, I highly recommend them. Yeah, I mean, you know, this is this is how you do kind of very independent, low-budget, creature-feature, cosmic-style horror that is very... They're not happy stories. Neither of them kind of has really much of a happy ending. Even the survivor, even anybody who survives in, in Sea Fever... It's not really a happy ending at the end of the day because this thing still exists. It is now multiplied. It is in the ocean and could potentially go everywhere. We never stopped this thing. No one stopped it. The beach house. No one stopped it. These are. This is like straight up apocalyptic horror. Like this is the beginning of the end. And you could relate these movies together and say that they exist in the same world. And it's part of something, you know, this shared multiverse of, of cosmic horror films that in this case is dealing with like the ocean and all the crazy shit that can be there. Fuck, throw the bay on top of this if you want to and start it with like a movie like The Bay that leads into things like this. Cause The Bay is a found footage type film and it's dealing with another parasitic type creature that you might not be able to fully ever stop. Anyway, that's my two cents on these films. Um, I, I genuinely enjoyed them. I can definitely see where there's some flaws in them. But overall, I, I was not disappointed with them. Um, so they're recommends for me. Uh, but anyway, that will do it for us this week on Oh the Horror. Uh, you can find us, you know, anywhere you download your podcasts, uh, OhTheHorrorCast.com. You can find me on Instagram, Facebook, all those things at Holmes Invasion. Um, and even on Podbean, where we I host this podcast, it is listed not under Oh the Horror, but it's listed under Holmes Invasion slash, I think Holmes Invasion slash Oh the Horror or Podbean slash Holmes Invasion. I'm not really good at all that um, you know, what marketing and branding stuff. So I'm kind of trying to, you think I would have gotten better after a year off? No, cause I, I didn't do it for that year off at all. So I'm trying to reacclimate myself into this. If you guys have any suggestions, please, you know, feel free to shoot me an email at theholmesinvasion at gmail.com or at ohthehorrorcast at gmail.com, uh, or, you know, any form of social media. Anyway, that'll do it for us this week on Oh the Horror. I've been Rob Holmes, and we'll talk to you next time. Look at me, Damien. It's all for you. Now, it is time to keep your appointment with the Wicker Man. When there's no more room in hell, the dead 